Red Mars Podcast, episode 114. I'm Andrew Ford. And I'm Brendan Trombley. And I'm Trevor Williams. We're back on the other side of the Ludum Dare. Yes. Actually, kind of a long time after that. It feels like forever ago that we made that game already. Yeah. yeah. The, the rating period is still going, but it's almost over. Yeah. The rating, rating period ends in two, two days from, from this recording. Which is probably several days ago, if you're listening yep. to this fresh <laughs> so by then you'll get to go see what our amazing ranking is and how we won the Ludum Dare forever. <laughs> yeah, they're they're not gonna have any more because we did so well. Exactly. <laughs> they don't need to make any more games. This is we, we beat we beat games. Just like every single one of our podcast episodes beats that topic and solves it forever. <laughs> our Ludum Dare solves games forever. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um no, I was actually just looking at some of the comments that we've already gotten, and I'm like Pleasantly surprised that there's a lot, like a lot of positivity in it. I was a little nervous about some of the like incompleteness of it. It felt incomplete to me because it didn't have like a win condition. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's like the first thing to go whenever we make a game. It's like, can you win it? Like, I don't know. You can yeah, lose it just it. goes on forever. Right? <laughs> <laughs> can you get the high score? Um, but yeah, I guess uh, I guess with the a little bit of essence. Uh, like hindsight and and distance, it's like yeah, okay, I feel good about it. I feel better about this than I was feeling a little a little nervous about it in the beginning, but yeah, I feel feeling pretty cool now. So, I mean, we'll see what the the rankings. Is. We could still get like eight hundredth place, but you know, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think this is a bad thing, but in my experience, the comments tend to be more positive than the numbers. <laughs> you know, yeah, people yeah. people aren't usually super like critical in the comments. They tend to be like you know constructive, nice criticism. Oh, I always when I when I write comments in the Ludum Dare, I always do the the <laughs> critique sandwich. Yeah, you say something positive, then you say something that could be improved, and then you end with something positive, positive. and it's just like the negative thing never happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've heard mixed things. I mean, I'd like I'd know that much about this kind of thing in like a work context, but like I don't know if that's always like the greatest <laughs> form for feedback because it does kind of, you know, bury the negative stuff a little too much. Maybe I don't know. I it, it's a, I think there's a big part of like reading the person that you're doing it with, and if you have a really strong collaboration and level of trust with them, I don't think it's very necessary. I think it's in the uncertain zone of you're not really sure how they're going to respond to feedback. It's a nice way to hedge your bets a little. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it is kind of funny. I found myself, you know, when I'm rating all these games, being like. Oh, cool concept. This thing needs to work. Still, it's fun. Nice work. And like all my all my comments just end up that like format. And it's like, um, mm-hmm. who's gonna notice that I'm saying this thing? And then you're like one star, two star, one star, one Pretty star <laughs> down all the categories. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, how are you guys feeling about it now that we're a couple weeks out of having made it? Yeah, I think I'm feeling pretty good about it. I think like we're you know, a bit at limited capacity in some ways, but I think this is probably one of our better limited capacity games. Maybe I think the, I think it's cool that the kind of core concept turned out to be 
pretty fun. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, the, again, it was like another one of our uh, ideas of going kind of simple with it was beneficial to us. Mm. Um, by the way, if, uh, if on the weird chance that you didn't listen to the last episode where we brainstormed this game, we made a game called Meat Rancher Twenty One Ninety Nine, <laughs> and you are a you're playing a combine harvester, and you're harvesting your fields of meat, and the meat grows like a plant, <laughs> and it kind of looks like a plant until it's ready to harvest, and it just looks like a bunch of meat, and uh, it gives you money if you uh, it fills up your inventory and gives you money that you can cash out in at the barn if you if you harvest it <clears throat> while it's while it's ripe, but there's also like a weird yellow fungus thing that can ruin your crops and also spread to your other crops and shoots bullets and can also kill you if the bullets hit you. So it's like a weird bullet hell slash, well, it can be a bullet. It can be a hell if you let it get out of control. <laughs> you're either, you're either in bullet hell or you're in meat heaven. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me about the game because it's been so long. I've forgotten almost all of it. Here we go. See, I did that for you and for Thank the listeners you. who also forgot. <laughs> So that's our game, and that is actually one one part that I'm pretty proud of is the sort of because we we talked about this for a while and weren't figure it took us a while to figure out the like aesthetic of our game, but it's got that funny like Rad Marzi sort of weirdness in it, and I think that was really good for the game. Mm-hmm. Being a meat rancher, mm. <laughs> I think yeah, I think it was you, Brennan, when I was editing the episode. I think you came up with the meat idea, and that was kind of <laughs> that was yeah. the key that was unlocked the whole thing. Yeah, I remember, and I remember that idea solidifying even more during our little like walkaway break. Those those walkaway breaks are so important. Mm-hmm. Anyone, if you brain, if you, anyone who brainstorms and you're like in this process where you're going back and forth on shit and it's feeling like I don't know you're losing momentum or whatever. Literally, everyone should just go take a break, take like go take a walk. They don't have to think about it. If they want to think about it, they can. And somehow that like separation and like lack of social pressure on the brainstorming session for me helps things fall into place, and that's. That's something that happened last time while we were brainstorming this game. Yeah, supposedly walking makes your brain work better. Supposedly. That's what they say. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, uh, any other thoughts about, any other retrospective thoughts about like uh, how the game turned out since, since we worked on it? Otherwise, we can just talk about the process and stuff. W- one thing that kind of struck me recently as I was thinking about it is that both this and 360 microscope have this sort of exponential sort of balance to them where like stuff, if stuff gets out of control, you're like dead. <laughs> but if you keep it under control, the game is like a little boring. So it's kind of funny that like they both have this, you know, kind of doubling kind of exponential things get out of control kind of mechanic. Uh, I don't know how we landed up doing that twice in a row, but we did. Hmm. Is there some specific alchemy of our, or the way that we think about things that, leads in that direction i don't know i think maybe it's because we kind of the thing in common is like they're kind of single screen ish games right and when you have that you kind of have to have the obstacles sort of arise right and then the natural thing is like oh every you know once in a while they like spawn a new thing or double like right so like think something about the common sort of structure of the game kind of i think sort of somehow resulted in that same mechanic kind of arising in both circumstances I kind of like how, I mean, to me, it feels like Meat Rancher 2199. <laughs> God, I don't know how to say that faster and remember the name of the game I made. Um, it's like a better version of that. Like, it's almost like we iterated on that style, even though we didn't iterate on the same game twice. Mm. Yeah, it is like the same concept of like, you have to keep a thing under control. 
Yeah. If you don't keep it under control, it will, will double until you die. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely lacks the, it, it doesn't, it definitely lacks the, the major flaw of that last game, the 360 microscope was, it got really boring when you were doing really well, like to wait for your stupid thing to turn all the way around to kill like one more alien or um, <laughs> bacterium thing. Mm-hmm. Really boring, really dumb. So <laughs> there's, I think, a constant tension in the meat rancher because you're like, oh God, there could be a fungus somewhere. But also I got to munch up all this meat and turn it back into the barn and there's always more meat to get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because like, you know, again, you have to make it and iterate on it to like even learn that stuff because you're not necessarily going to be able to predict that kind of thing and obviously we didn't even intentionally <laughs> try to like iterate on the same idea it just kind of happened to come out that way uh so yeah uh out of the people here we're actually missing one of our key members eugene was in the brainstorm but um he wasn't able to make it tonight to record but he did leave us a bunch of reflections so we'll get to learn more about what he thought of the, of the process but um right let's let's maybe talk about who did what in the thing so we can know what to <laughs> reflect upon uh, I did the le art. I made pixels. I made shiny pixels again, and uh, a bit of code just to go through and sort of game feel it up towards the end. There it was kind of my main main role there. Yeah, because you did some some coding stuff on Monday, right? It was it wasn't Monday. Yeah, yeah. I, and I had actually like a decent amount of time on Monday compared to last time. So um, yeah, the game was actually in a very. It was it was the same like working pieces, but it just was. Uh, the the sort of design of the starting state and the design of, I guess, mostly the starting state. Was that really the only thing I kind of changed? Oh, yeah, and I think I just tweaked some of the numbers uh, of, like, scoring. And that, that was enough to sort of transform the game into kind of a demo, into, like, a playable, fun experience, which is pretty cool. Cool. And yeah, for my role, again, I usually just do audio stuff, and that was almost entirely what I did this time. Um, I'll get into it more. I ended up spending probably too much time working on the music and the sound design all the way up until like late Sunday night. And I think I, I did contribute a little bit of, you know, coding stuff to make stuff land at the end, but yeah, mostly audio for me this time. And I contribute mostly code stuff. If I recall correctly, uh, I was basically just sort of helping out with other people. Yep. So yeah, your, your primary job is coding and so is Eugene's. Yeah. Oh yeah, look at Eugene. What a what a bro. He like typed up like a whole like page. <laughs> yeah, his his thoughts are pretty uh kind of uh, cover a few different bases. So he says he likes Phaser. That's the platform we use. Now we used to use a thing called Melon.js, um which is good has been good, but Phaser is kind of more feature rich, he says. And compared to something like Unity, it's kind of like lower overhead easier to get into. So it's pretty sweet. I don't, uh, his next paragraph is getting really developer I don't know if I'm the right person to <laughs> represent this. Yeah, there's, I think he had some comments on how, uh, well, for background, we were using TypeScript instead of JavaScript this time, right? So TypeScript is like a stronger typed version of, of JavaScript. So you make fewer, you know, stupid, oh, this int was supposed to be a float or a string kind of mistakes. And phasers maybe doesn't map exactly well onto that. I guess there were some issues with like the game state and stuff like that, but Again, I wasn't super involved with that code side of things, so I can't really speak to uh, too much of that stuff. Um, I mean, my experience with the coding stuff, I think, went pretty well. We definitely had, it took some effort to kind of get our environment set up, but thankfully we did, we did that like beforehand. Um, mm-hmm. So it wasn't too, too bad. We all had to, you know, install the latest Node.js and what have you, TypeScript stuff. Though there actually is really cool like uh, Visual Studio 
um, code integration with a lot of TypeScript stuff, which made it really nice. So you can kind of see while you're writing stuff, actually look at it in the, in the ID and say like, oh, there's like a type error like right here, or it'll try to correct your code style and stuff, which was really cool. I, uh, it's, it's in it's, the environment is interesting because it's actually kind of complex to get yourself set up in it. So I'm really glad that Eugene was there on that, for that one day that was just like, I shared my screen and he was like, do this, now do this, now click on this, now type this. And it was like yeah. five minutes in and I was like, okay, cool. I can, I've got the, <laughs> I've got the environment. I can, I can work with this. Yeah. I definitely don't have very much experience with, uh, you know, front end JavaScript type stuff. It feels very tower of garbagey to me, but you know, I'm sure there's, <laughs> there's some, sure there's a reason for it. <laughs> That's what like any uh, uh, there's a lot of tower of garbage and like anytime anyone gets me into something pretty technical it always feels like you you have to install a tower of garbage to get it to work. Mm-hmm. You just eventually get used to the smell. <laughs> <laughs> I remember this not just for like coding environments but also like back in the day like pirating stuff on like the the schools the the, the schools like pirating network was like a pain in the ass and I'm always like, you need me to install like this many pieces of software that I have no idea who wrote it. Some some weird nerd ass hacker. Like I have no <laughs> idea what I'm putting on my computer. It feels like I'm infecting it. Mm-hmm. I probably was. <laughs> but yeah, now my computers have infected with Visual Studio Code <laughs> and Node.js. <laughs> I guess I can live with that. Yeah, I mean, I guess most of that Node stuff also, you know, I think as you ran into, it's like, it's a little weird that it kind of does these like local installs of like all of its dependencies, like all the dependencies you need for the project kind of get installed as packages kind of into the project directory. So they kind of don't like pollute your like, you know, global namespace of stuff. So ultimately it's kind of a, to some extent, a self-contained thing. And if you just delete that stuff, it's just kind of gone. Okay. As far as I understand it. It's still just wildly different from what I'm used to, which is like, right. And right. A something.js file and then open the HTML file and it runs like, <laughs> yeah. Are we, I guess we're just long beyond that. I must be a, I must be an ancient, an ancient coot to think that that's how you develop anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the idea is that, you know, the big deal is we have like a, a, you know, a CI or a compile type process that finds bugs before you try to run it in the browser. Right? I think we, like, we talked about this concept a little while ago, like, you know, it's cheaper to find a bug earlier in the process. So this is what that stuff kind of enables. Okay. I can live with that, I guess. Um, let's see, going back to Eugene's notes, he says it was not our most innovative idea, but silly enough to work. I agree, Eugene. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he goes, he was saying also that, uh, it's kind of surprisingly difficult to articulate the nuance of how things are supposed to be controlled between just us. So like, you know, we talk about the broad strokes of a design, but then as soon as it, of course, as soon as someone actually has to put like rubber to the road and start coding something like, holy shit, there's actually a ton of details that we have to like figure out to see. And, and we could all have very different idea in our heads of what those details actually look like. Mm-hmm. Um, so one big one was like, how does our, our combine harvester actually move through the space? And it's like, well, it just goes up, down, left and right. It's like, well, actually there's a lot of different ways it can go up, down, left and right. Like, let me tell you, <laughs> it can go continue. It can just go pixel by pixel while you're pressing the arrow keys and then stop as soon as you've done like as soon as you let the key off and now you're sort of like halfway between tiles but then if you're halfway between tiles when does it trigger the harvesting of a tile so we figured out actually maybe it'd be better if it kind of like goes like an entire tile over uh, every time you press the button and it just like each 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 solution also like 
came with more questions and we got to a good place eventually. Yeah, I forgot if this was in the brainstorming app, but it was kind of the one thing I was struggling with is like, okay, do you have to like hold the button down or did you press it once? It's almost like really hard to articulate like exactly yeah. like how the movement is supposed to work, especially because you know when we do these kind of ideas, we're kind of a little bit outside of genre. Like it's not like, oh, it's platformer and everyone knows like how platformer is supposed to feel and control. Or like mm-hmm. this is a little bit of a unique thing, you know. It's the that's the price of innovation. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, that was a, that was actually a big thing. And I, I very much agree with Eugene here, which is like, we should do more drawing pictures at each other when we mm-hmm. brainstorm. And I think part of it is simply our environment. Like if we were in a room together drawing on a whiteboard, we'd probably be drawing the shit out of picture, out of, out of everything, but um, <laughs> drawing the shit out of pictures. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's actually a little harder to set that up um, in a digital remote space. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. I would love to do more more doodling and drawing in the future. Well, maybe there's a Discord activity that we can use to get a Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> we are we're using, we use Discord to, to do our, our, uh, our meetups here for these podcast recordings. And I don't know, there's some weird-ass shiny button that's just sparkling at us right now, and it's distracting <laughs> as hell. <laughs> you must have fun on your video calls. It is illegal not to have fun on your video call. So now they're like embedded games in Discord. Oh, God, this might be a whole I entire guess. podcast episode right here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, some of them are locked. <laughs> oh. I'm sure that's not a monetization scheme. Uh, but like, how come I look at it and then it doesn't stop sparkling? Like, do I have to buy yeah. something to make it stop sparkling? Can I get the <laughs> don't sparkle pa- add-on pack for $9.99? <laughs> it's like horse armor, except you pay to take the armor off of the horse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I got it to go away. You have to press the see all button. Ah. Okay. Ah. Now I can go back to ignoring that. Ah, yes, you have to subscribe to Nitro to get those other fancy games. Ah, but if you click on on the see all button, <laughs> then you can then click on take the survey. Ah. But why? How would I do that? <laughs> the button is too shiny. I was distracted. <laughs> oh, okay. Shiny button gone. Uh, what were we talking about? Games? <laughs> Something? Drawing pictures. We we're talking about drawing the shit out of pictures. Drawing the shit out of pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, being stuck to the grid would have been a thing that maybe drawing pictures would have been helpful for. Also, like, the ability to sort of puppeteer a game experience. Because, right, a game is already really hard to envision when even when you know all the rules and how it works. Mm. <laughs> so, like, having, like, a like a, a shitty prototype of, of, a, of a game that you can also kind of, like, you know, pseudo interact with so that I can be like, this is how I feel like the, the tractor should move and be like, just with my hands and my sound effects. And honestly, the sound effects really help. Like it really (laughs) does. One time I, uh, I was giving design feedback to a classmate at RT ages and ages ago, and I couldn't articulate what I wanted her to do. So I just went, just go. And I made a few hand gestures at it and she, and and she's like, Oh yeah. Okay. And I was like, whoa, you really got that? Like, I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't use words. <laughs> so yeah, all that shit's really important. And like, you know, we've, we've done, you know, it's actually interesting that we're talking kind of almost about some of the downsides of not being in person together, which is a big topic of conversation in 2023. <laughs> um, we've been, we've all, we've always done this shit remote and done an okay job at it. And I think it's more about finding good ways to do that because we're a, we're a well-oiled team, but we're in very different places. I've never met Trevor in person. Yeah. 
you could just be a freaking AI that's projecting the image of a man so that I think that you're real. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I have met Trevor, but I could have been replaced with an AI or he could have been replaced. So you never know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh shit. That, that means, oh God, no one's, nobody's real. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you thought you knew them. Okay. Let's see any other stuff. Uh, process. Yeah. I mean, this was the same for all of us. Uh, Eugene had some, you know, some other real life stuff going on that couldn't dedicate necessarily the entire weekend. And so did I, so did all of us. There's always, I think there's always that feeling that like, well, God, if I had just pulled two all-nighters in a row and been perfectly productive the entire time, we could have had a bigger game. And it's like, well, okay, sure. <laughs> but that was never, that's, that's like never going to happen as like a human. Yeah. <laughs> I did personally felt like I was much more productive on the art side this time. Like I had, I think I had kind of like carried a little of my momentum from last time, learned from my process from last time. Um, and also took advantage of some sort of like cheating <laughs> and by cheating, I mean like it's all AI art. <laughs> no, I did zero AI art. I, I very much pixeled all those myself. Um, but you can make attractive looking art by say things like repetition and rhythm. So I thought that the fields of meat looked good, and I was able to kind of you know pseudo replicate like the little individual meat plants a few few different times, and just kind of like make small alterations to them to make a field of meat plants look good and just by, and by making a few different you know uh life stages of them so that they were mixed up on the tiles right that sort of repetition that sort of like tileization of everything looks attractive even though i didn't have to make like incredibly detailed art up for it or like really painstaking art for it so it was a bit of process and a bit of efficiency that i kind of eked out some performance there <laughs> cool i also just sort of accepted my fate this time around as the artist and i was like all right <laughs> i'm just i'm arting i'm just gonna art this whole time and uh, except for Monday. And I was like, as long as I finish all the art by the end of Sunday and I can do some game feel on Monday, that's like a perfect, a perfect uh, Ludum Dare contribution from my perspective with this particular team setup. Mm. Let's see. Eugene also talks a bit about GitHub. I mean, I thought, I've always thought GitHub was a great thing for us to use. Apparently we use it like not in the way that you use it in the professional world, which I don't know. I've I've only used version control in the professional world in like my earliest part of my career, and it was is SVN is that that's that's that type of version control right? So no, it's a different one. Yeah, it's it's centralized, unlike Git, which is more decentralized. Yeah, I used to use that occasionally, um, but again, it was usually I was usually the only one contributing. It was like my project, and it was just a way to have like you know something to roll back to if something blew up. <laughs> mm. Well, I mean, what's different specifically about the process? Do you think in terms of like us versus professional stuff like when we do it it's like one trunk right we like almost never branch it it's right. just like a, we just pull push right or push pull i don't know what, which is the difference <laughs> <laughs> whatever whatever the thing is it's like i wrote i wrote this thing and and i'm just gonna go and put it in and it's not gonna blow everyone else's thing up because we're working on something kind of simple but i feel I, someone mentioned something over like this past weekend that that's not the way people normally do things yeah that's 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 true i just want to be specific on that point usually I think most <laughs> sane software shops will use like a pull request model where like you work on a branch, right? Then you open a pull request, which is like, I want to merge my branch down to master or main or develop or whatever it's called. And then on the pull request, people can do code review, make comments, even like QA can happen on the branch. And then once, you know, you approve it and you have maybe like a successful build, build system, then you kind of merge it down to whatever your main 
branches. Obviously, when you're in a jam, that doesn't really work. <laughs> we don't really have time for that. So right, okay, yeah. So yeah, it's really so. I mean, it's it's almost the same process with just a little bit of overhead. I guess I wasn't sure if there was. I don't know. Is it common for there to be issues when you merge, as far as incompatibility with what you made? With you know what I mean? Like, because usually it's good at saying like, even if you even if you worked on a code the same code file as somebody else, and you each either contributed lines of code or whatever. Even if you both like wrote lines of code in the same file, um, it has its own ways to like merge those together pretty easily, right? Yeah, I mean, you'll see when you get a merge conflict in you know Git or something, it'll tell you like which parts changed, which parts didn't. If if they were you know far enough apart and even in the same file, like it'll be fine. You don't have to do anything. But if you like obviously changed the same part of the same file and stuff overlaps, like you obviously have to do some real human mental work to resolve that. Um, with the pull request model, there's like the there's a kind of a way you want to structure your work is to make it smaller you want your pull request to probably be as small as possible because the longer your branch is in progress and like the f- longer it is before you merge it like the more risk there is of like it, it other mutates into changing. a worse and worse beast yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or rather the more the more risk there is of like stuff happening on the main branch that's like diverged from what you're doing right and there's more risk of more merge conflicts popping up so usually you'll see like when the Pull request is open. I'm I'm mostly used to working on you know Bitbucket, for example, but I think that GitHub, I imagine, has a similar thing. It'll kind of tell you, like preemptively before stuff merges, like, hey, there's going to be a conflict here, and like, <laughs> hold on to your butts. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I know I know it's been sometimes it's been our practice to be like, uh, hey guys, I'm going to work on this file. Don't fucking touch it until I've pushed. <laughs> right. Yeah, and that, that that stuff gets especially worse. Like, and this is kind of why Unity kind of sucks for. Yeah, that's for, what like, I was about jams. to bring up. Yeah, is like, yeah, if you're not careful, like all their shit is in binary, which is like impossible to merge. <laughs> Otherwise, mm. it's in some kind of weird like JSON format, which is like possible but extremely difficult to resolve conflicts in. So, yeah, so that's like, yeah, in Unity, especially the things that are binary are like scenes and a few other like Unity because there are Unity code files that you can just change and merge right and then there's right. yeah prefabs yeah that kind of stuff but it's like yeah the, the, the scenes are the big thing man i we're gonna i think we'll probably be doing an episode about this in the near future so i won't go too far into it but yeah going back into unity after several years of not looking at it i was like whoa what the fuck what is <laughs> how does this work again holy shit <laughs> what else we got what else we got from eugene's notes he just wants okay, yeah. And Eugene's final <laughs> thing really is he wants us to use Rust. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down for that. I still I just okay. want to, you know, learn it. It's just it's a cool language, but well, I mean, I I don't really know how well suited it is for this kind of jam circumstance, but so yeah, I guess. What is it suited for specifically like normally? Uh so Rust kind of at its core is supposed to be I would say vaguely in the same line as something like C and that it's like compiled. It's supposed to be fast. It's supposed to be real time, but it's much more safe memory wise and stuff than C++ is. Okay. So it's supposed to be kind of like the language if you're doing like new stuff like on desktop that needs to be fast and needs to be yeah. safe and you don't want to use C++, so you can use Rust. Does it have like pointers like C++? Uh, the way you... I never learned how to code. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think the way you manage memory is like different. I think that's one of the big things of like jumping from C++ to Rust like people get hung up on it's like there's certain things that are much harder to do because they're unsafe right and you just like kind of can't really do unsafe stuff anymore <laughs> without like okay 
delving into the dark secrets. I think they actually call their, they have like their main like documentation. It was like the main rust guide or something. The the rust guide that's for like the unsafe stuff is called the rust Denomicon. <laughs> it's like the, just the dark secrets that you're not supposed to know. I mean, it really just further, yeah, enforcing that code, that technology is like magic. Right. But there is a very popular uh, and I think well-featured game engine for Rust called Bevy, which is kind of the thing that we would oh, cool. target using. Yeah, okay. Can it make multi, can it make cross-platform games or is it kind of only for making PC games? I don't or know. Or PC programs? I, I don't honestly don't know. Typically the... Um, open source game engines do not have that kind of thing. Like I know it was kind of a thing that Godot wants to do, but it's like very expensive mm. to like get support from like Sony and Nintendo to do that kind of stuff. And it's like maybe financially impractical for them to do so. What about like mobile or Mac even? Uh, I think, I think these things generally support mobile and, and, and web and stuff and, okay. and just a desktop. So I, I just cause you know, like a lot of the stuff that I've been thinking, it would be cool to see a, steam version that also could go on mobile true man i've also been out of that i don't even know what the like <laughs> is the small indie mobile game like absolutely completely dead now is that even worth <laughs> thinking about i don't even know i yeah i don't know man the only the only mobile <laughs> games i hear about and then don't play are like the all the gotcha games which are yeah decidedly not indie as far as i know <laughs> <laughs> they're their own damn thing genshin i think is in the mix of billions of dollars so doing something right and it's not small and it's not indie. Or it's maybe indie. I don't even know what indie means anymore. It's not small. <laughs> well, they're like, they're like deeply cross-platform too, right? They're not just yeah, mobile. they are. They're super, super cross-platform. Except for Switch, goddammit. Mm. Genshin's not on Switch, and that would be like the most ideal platform for it. It's so sad. Mm. Anyways, what other thoughts we got about our game and our process? Yeah, I think the funny thing for me process-wise is that I kind of, I kind of probably said this for the last game. And I just continually get get stuck in this. I feel like I spent like too much time like doing the audio stuff, um, which you know, I mean, it came out pretty well. But it just like it feels weird to be like you know working the whole weekend on that and like not really contributing to you know the code stuff when I could be contributing to code stuff potentially. And this was definitely a weird you know more of a scramble to like actually get like the sounds in the game on like Sunday night before I like had to go to bed and like go to work the next day. So that was kind of rough. Honestly, the the biggest thing was. You know, and this was my decision. I don't want to like say it was a bad part of the game. Was you know, as you might have noticed, I played a lot of guitar in the soundtrack, and I'm really shitty at playing guitar. I hadn't seriously played guitar or picked it up in probably over a year, so like it was a bit rough on my fingers trying to actually play that stuff. I think you're being hard on yourself. It sounded great. Yeah. It sounded really good. Thanks. I mean, yeah, like I said, it came out well. Just like it just took a long time. Like especially like the song kind of felt almost like too ambitious. Like there's there's actually stuff that I spent time on that like you can't hear in the song because I like didn't have enough time to mix it properly. <laughs> so like it just felt like uh kind of not a great use of time to like try to make the song very elaborate. But you know, like I said, it did come out well. I'm pretty happy with it. But you know, could have could have used my time better, maybe. Yeah, I think the only the only thing I have with the music is that it gets kind of overshadowed by some of the sound effects. That was the other kind of meta comment I was gonna make about like mixing too is like I still kind of don't really know how to do this, like balancing sound effects against the music. Um, and it's, it's very, just much intuitive, like, oh, I guess I got to tweet the line here. And like here, I really did not have that much time to like really sit and like think about it and listen to it and like make a couple passes of like changing the, you know, just changing the levels. So like that, I think that even, you can even see that in the comments in the game, like people were complaining about that. So like, mm -hmm. that's clearly, you know, I tried to do a little bit of that when I was yeah. doing my game feel pass. So I, I, 
I did some making the like normal sound effects at a pretty significantly lower level than they came in at. And just, <laughs> just so that I could hear them. Cause uh, the thing is that like, you're basically driving the combine the entire time. So it's constantly making com- the combine noise. So yeah. I made that pretty quiet so that you could hear the other stuff. Yeah. It is funny. Cause I spent actually, that's another thing I spent a lot of time. I was doing the sound design for the combine noise and this like, it goes like, it goes kind of like low <laughs> noise. Like that just gets like, it just doesn't gets melts like into the music in like a shitty way. So like, again, I just spent a bunch of time on something that just kind of like didn't really work, mm. which is like normal, but like, you know, you kind of need that time to like make it and then iterate and like see how it feels and then, and then change it and stuff. Yeah. So. There, there are patterns. This might be a thing to think about because you've done this really well in, in some of our older games where, the sound effects, you did design them with the music in mind. So like you made the sound effects happen at particular pitches that were like in the scale, right? Like in Kaiju, right? Because like in Kaiju, you're, there's, a, there's some music and you're doing a rhythm game, but you're also, when you're hitting the rhythm right, your Kaiju is destroying stuff. And mm-hmm. the sound effects for destroying stuff was percussive. And also, I think it had pitches that were like geared to the music, right? Maybe I'm thinking yeah, I don't, the wrong I don't game. remember with, with Kaiju. It might have been a different game. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. But actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I did make the combine sound like in the key of the song, but just like okay. the way it kind of, you know, the way it blends kind of in the mix just kind of overshadows stuff in the, in the song if it's too loud and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. the other thing that really kind of pisses me off random, <laughs> this is a random comment about the sound stuff in games, like all of these APIs for playing sounds, like the the volume is in like, linear amplitude like why do they do that it's so stupid <laughs> i hate that it's like that's so it's totally it's totally not a natural like scale for for doing volume because it's like that's like the specifically what i think it is anyway is it's like the linear like amplitude like height of the waveform which is like not like your ear doesn't perceive things linearly right this is why we measure things in decibels <laughs> so like right. decibels are they... logarithmic right so yes one yeah. decibel higher is 10 times more loud uh, I think it's 10. 10 decibels. Uh, loud, loudness is a complicated psychoacoustic phenomenon. <laughs> but like, basically, I think... Psychoacoustic phenomenon. Yeah. Psychoacoustic. That's a band name. Yeah. It's <laughs> definitely a band name right there. But I think it's... I'm pretty sure... In, I should know this, but I think it's in digital audio. I think it's like, if you do negative 6 dB, that's like half amplitude. It's like every time you turn it down by negative 6 dB, you're, you're, you're cutting the amplitude in half. Okay, okay. So like trying to, trying to like figure out how loud something should be in like a zero to one scale of linear amplitude, like, you know, 0.5 is not like half as loud. It's negative 60 B. Oh shit. Yeah. So that's, it's, it gets into, you know, there's there's like no way you're going to have good intuition about those numbers, (laughs) you know? So we might as well actually just make like a classic sample, the decibel conversion function. You know, when I um when I am tweaking game feels and tweaking numbers and anything, even if I made it myself from from the top, like from the ground up, and I'm not just doing something else, someone else's um, code, uh, I often change things by multiples of ten first to see how it feels, and then maybe I'll go by half or by double, and I I won't go tweak I won't go tweaky numbers like you know like 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 just like one or two d- numbers off until like I'm really really in the tweaky phase. Mm. Yeah, it's also a great principle for like designing an audio. <laughs> effect like make it so you can turn the knob really far and make it go really crazy <laughs> that way you know you've gone too far yeah yep but yeah i guess that um when it comes to the next lutum there we'll have to figure out whether we want to keep that momentum up and keep working in this sort of like style and platform or if we want to try, mm-hmm. try something else let eugene convince us to do rust <laughs> that's fair that'll be interesting yeah
yeah, we did find a uh, a good uh, actually text or book for learning Rust via game design. I think it's actually more from scratch rather than using a game engine, which is pretty cool. Um, so I really want to try and work through that soon. Obviously, that's a little bit different like than learning you know, something like Bevy, which would be a different engine, but still be cool to like get some real hands-on experience with the language with some interesting like a game. Doing it from scratch would be really tricky though, because then we'd have literally no no shoulders to stand on, right? Like as far as making get, working. Yeah, game I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not arguing that stuff from the jam would be from scratch. Oh, I'm saying okay. that that's what the book says, and then like <laughs> so that's a way to like learn game dev. Sure. Like also not just Rust, but also like cool like game dev principles and stuff. But then for the jam, we would also have to learn like uh, you know you know Bevy or whatever engine yep. we want to use for Rust. So kind of a two step process there. <laughs> Oh man, I was just looking. So I was just looking at the Lunar Dare site, looking at what the next one was, and I looked over and I saw our credits for our game, and uh, it says Brendo Art Design Code, which is almost a the title of a summer camp that I worked on a long, long time ago. It was called Design <laughs> Art Code, and like <laughs> I like designed the whole camp and like executed it. Uh, I was like for like my old old job, uh, and it just brought back a funny memory. <laughs> nice. I'll be sure to reorder the description next time. Perfect. Yes, Design Art Code. That's the that's the order. <laughs> Oh, there we go. I was looking. I was looking for the, when the next one was. It's April twenty eighth. Yeah, that's what I was just looking up too. So Ludender fifty three, uh, April twenty eighth. So that's in about three months from now, right? January, Four. February, March. Wait, no, three. Yep, numbers. Well, because we're 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 already <laughs> significantly into January. So yeah, uh, right. yeah. yeah, three three months from now. It's not. That's really not that long. Yeah. Uh oh shit! I don't know if I will be in the country. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I, might, I might be out of the country and not be able to participate. We'll see. Yeah. I, I, the other thing I was also kind of thinking about, it's like, there's other game jams other than Ludum Dare. We don't have to limit ourselves to Ludum Dare. There was the one, you know, Game Boy Jam one we did yeah. a while ago. Uh, Global Game Jam, I think, is coming up soon, but I'm not sure what that format is. Maybe too soon, but... Global Game Jam might be right now or might be coming up. Let's see. I think, I thought it's like a week from, I think, I thought it's the first week in February, but I could be wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah. 30 January through 5th February, which is actually a long yeah. period of time. <laughs> That's in five days. Oh God! Do you guys want to do another game jam in five days? <laughs> yeah, I, don't know about that. <laughs> I actually know nothing about global game jam aside from that it's a game jam and it's a. I guess it's global. And now I know it's five days. It didn't used to be five. I did one global game jam many years ago, uh, and it was just a weekend. And it was it was the kind of thing where you went in. I mean, I don't know if you're supposed to do it this way. I think you are. But you don't go in with a team. You like meet people there and then form a team. And then <laughs> we like spent the whole weekend, you know, cooped up in. Um, we were at City College, or not City College, um, Teachers College at Columbia University uh, in mm -hmm. New York City. And, yeah, it was interesting. I made some new friends that way. We actually got we actually got second place in um, the local jam, like in, in like the, that particular location. Nice. We made a cool negative space game. The one that I've always been kind of interested in is a seven day roguelike. Mm. Oh, it'd be fun to make a roguelike. We could just we could even just make that that fish one that we. The sushi one that we wanted to that we brainstormed <laughs> long, long ago. It's true. I'd be down for that. Yeah, I feel like other game gems are like not quite as well, I don't know for sure, but I, I feel like they're not quite as restrictive about like previous ideas or like previous themes or something like that. Like Bloom Dare yeah. is pretty theme specific, typically. Okay, so uh seven day roguelike is March second to March twelfth. <laughs> That's just in just over a month. Okay. <laughs> I, I've already established myself as being bad at math, but that seems a little longer than seven days. <laughs> Wait. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah. Ah, who knows? <laughs> I have to look at the look at the page a little longer to see why the dates are that. But you're right. 
you have max seven days to work in your game and they have to be consecutive. Oh, and then you just have to choose. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's giving you flexibility. That's kind of cool. Oh, shit. They have dedicated roguelike libraries and engines, which can help you get there. (laughs) C++, two JS ones, and a Lua one. Hmm. Here. So, yeah. Have we... Have we covered all of our uh, our thoughts and bases and prayers about this? <laughs> thoughts and prayers? Thoughts and prayers about this? <laughs> about our Ludum Dare game? <laughs> thoughts and prayers for really high ratings, which we'll figure out what we get in two days. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and maybe some last minute um, ratings of other people's games so we can get a few more looks. Yes. Yep. All right. Well, uh, you guys ready to take a break? Yeah. Okay. Let's take a break. And we're back. Do you guys want to do? Hey, check this out. this out absolutely yeah (laughs) (laughs) i made a gesture anyways uh yeah sure let's check this out i guess i'll go first uh i'm a little late to the party on this one um mostly it was just procrastinating and waiting for a good moment for me and my partner to get to watch together but we finally watched andor which is a star wars show that is a prequel to a prequel it's the prequel to rogue one (laughs) and it's freaking incredible it's like the best Star Wars, hands down, the best Star Wars content, in my opinion, in the Disney era. And I think it's better than the original prequels. And I I mean, it's it, it rivals in quality, I think, to the original trilogy, to be honest. It's like it, it it's sort of like Star Wars grow, grew up and became like a political thriller that has things to say about like power and fascism and authoritarian governments. Like, you know, in the original trilogy, the Empire is sort of like, yeah, it's like this sort of like fascist Nazi stand-in kind of government, but really it's just like oppressive kind of in a sort of just generic bad guys way. Mm-hmm. But in Andor, like it really explores like what that means uh, as, as a story taking place at basically the height of the empire's power right before, you know, uh, the Death Star gets defeated and all that kind of stuff. So um, it really explores uh, just like aspects of the Star Wars universe. It it, it it does character so well, like every single character is, is, immediately recognizable as to like who they are and like what their personality is. They're all really well acted, really well written, really distinctive. Um, some crazy like surprise cast castings like Andy Serkis as mm. uh, prisoner, the prisoner dude, the prisoner foreman kind of guy. Uh, I was racking my brain for a few minutes being like, why is he so familiar? Holy shit. That's Gollum. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, he was freaking incredible. Like one of the best characters in the whole thing. Um, just yet, yeah, uh, I can't say enough good things about Andor. I was I was riveted, and I'm also angry at anyone who's like, "Oh, it moves too slow." It's like, are you paying any attention? Like, so much <laughs> is happening in every single scene, and like, okay, yeah, a fucking lightsaber doesn't get whipped out every two seconds. Like, is that what you need to be entertained by your Star Wars? Like, go sit down and just go watch <laughs> the prequels again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I watched uh, 
I've also watched Andor. I think I, I was watching around kind of when the when the season uh, finished airing, and yeah, I couldn't confirm. It's awesome. It's also kind of funny. I also started watching Mandalorian right after that because I actually never watched it. <laughs> Mandalorian is great, but Andor kind of kicks the shit out of Mandalorian, in my opinion. <laughs> in my opinion, too, yes. But really, they're just different genres, and that's kind of cool. I like the idea mm-hmm. that Star Wars can cover different genres and do do them well. Yep. They can also do them shit. So <laughs> we've seen it be done shit, too. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm only afraid that, like, Andor doesn't have enough, like, mass appeal for Disney to keep doing things like it. But I hope that the positive reception for the people that really like it will be enough to, for us to see more Star Wars content in that same vein of quality. Crossing my fingers, because... Damn, like if there's more Star Wars like this, I'll become a hardcore Star Wars fan again, which I was, and then I'm, I'm not right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or at least going to get a season two, right? Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Because also that, that would probably catch his story up to where he was in the movie Rogue One. I think that's the point, yeah, is yeah. that they were, they were just planning on doing this in the second season. And cool. That'd probably be it. Yeah. I, I, the other really big takeaway, takeaway is like, hey, we can tell stories about not the same five characters and they could still be really interesting. So yeah, let's see more of that. Old Republic, yeah. that's what I want to say. I want to see more Old Republic shit. Like, there's Star Wars has thousands of years of history before the shit that we've seen that they could cover. Yeah. Also, there's like a million planets and like Andor covered several planets that like, oh my God, it was a, it was a show that didn't take place on Tatooine. Like, what a concept. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. I, I could gush on for a whole podcast episode. So just make me, someone else go, 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 go. <laughs> All right. Well, I can go next. Um, so relatively recently, there's been this re- nice little television show called The Last of Us, uh, which uh, has been pretty great. So I would recommend it if you haven't actually watched it. I mean, I've seen it too. It's an adaptation of, the very good video game that I never played. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so I can, I can concur that it's really good. Zomb- fungus zombie story. Yes. But also I, I, I can I could not believe there's anyone in our like listenership that isn't aware of the last of us. So, <laughs> True. Well, we can, I can definitely vouch that it's an extremely good adaptation and it's, mm-hmm. uh, compared to any other like video game adaptations that usually exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also starring Pedro Pascal, who's also in the Mandalorian. It's cool to see him getting more prominent stuff. And uh, he doesn't get his eyes gouged out. <laughs> he was also <laughs> Oberyn Martell in Game of Thrones. Oh, geez. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's the, he is awesome. It's very, very cool to see more of him. Also, yeah. uh, um, oh, shit, I forget the name of the character, but the girl is also a... Uh, Ellie? Ellie, yeah. She's also a Game of Thrones alum. She played um, the, the Liana Mormont badass... Girl, oh, yeah. girl character i thought you looked towards funny. the end of it yeah they never i don't think they ever had a scene together in um game of thrones <laughs> they're extremely different uh character arcs and and placed like like settings in the game of thrones but uh they, they they're in it together there again i was <laughs> racking my brains like why does this girl look familiar to me holy shit it's liana moment <laughs> <laughs> it's the hbo thrones the zombies pipeline <laughs> <laughs> yeah We'll have Kit Harrington as the boss fungus zombie next. Yep. <laughs> Which I don't even know if that exists. Like I said, didn't play Last of Us. <laughs> All right, cool. I'm actually going to recommend a Ludum Dare game uh, from the current Ludum Dare 52. It's called A Day in the Life of Death um, by this developer, Coco Moss, who 
they tend to make a lot of like rhythm games. All of their games do really well. You like look at their page of games and like like I think over half of them like have it like top you know three or like you know awards. Those listed. fuckers. Yeah. Well, they're very good <laughs> at what they do. All right. <laughs> But uh, they kind of went for the classic uh, Grim Reaper Harvesting Souls theme this time around. So you're like, we almost did that. That's true. <laughs> a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people almost did or did do that this time around, I think. <laughs> um, but this one, you're kind of like a sad, like Grim Reaper who's like unhappy with their job and like is wishing for something else. Like it's like a dull, monotonous, like, yeah. like repetitive job. Yeah, sort of like you're watching like the sad people go by and you have to like chop their souls off because they're depressed or something. It's kind of dark, <laughs> but like, <laughs> but there's a really kind of cute story associated with it. Um, and I don't know, I don't want to spoil it too much because it's actually like a really cool experience. One of the more like, one of the most impressive Ludum Dare games I've ever seen. And like the music is really good. The art style is really good. The writing is really good. Like, yeah, just, just go play it. It's great. It's free. It's online. Web version. Yeah. This might be a first for us. Recommending a Lunar yeah, Dare game. Yeah. Yes, that's a day in the life of death. And I'll put the link in the description. All right. Uh, you can find me on Mastodon at adhesion on, at mastodon.social. Also, soundcloud.com slash adhesion and adhesion.bandcamp.com. Where can people find you guys? Uh, you can find me on Instagram. I'm the Brendo with a zero instead of an O. And I am pretty much using the same things as before so i don't know if i want to <laughs> still haven't jumped the twitter ship <laughs> the, the bird site but shall not be named yeah the bird site <laughs> that's what i'm on the bird it. site that's, that's the kids called nowadays uh well okay um you can find us on you can find it all the team rat team radmars on the bird site as well we are at team radmars uh, you can also play our games uh at radmars.com and radmars.itch.io where you'll find our most recent game, uh, Meat Rancher 2199. There it is. I can't believe I can't remember it. Yeah, but, well, we did go back and forth on the year. It's bit, true. So it's understandable. Uh, yeah. And credits go to Andrew Ford. He made the music for this episode on all episodes, and he was the editor for this episode as well. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right, guys. We did another podcast episode. We did, indeed. All right. Yeah. Uh, thank everyone for listening and thank you guys for being here. All right. Bye. Good night. Good night. Bye.